Hello, everyone, and welcome to my podcast series on EU financial politics and policy development. The last podcast have been focusing quite a lot on corporate governance, but that is because the focus in the EU is on corporate governance. It is taking on an agenda all of its own within the whole ESG sphere. And let me just remind you that six years ago, when the Capital Markets Union Action Plan came out in 2015, ESG sustainability corporate governance was part of a sentence, nothing else. Move forward six years, and we find ourselves with a very ambitious plan, both on the ESG front, but that have been subjects of other podcasts, but also within that ESG on governance. Governance is really a key issue for CFA Institute. We have produced quite a lot of research on this, which is available on our website, but the most recent one came out in January of this year. Uh, It was a report on corporate governance and ESG disclosure in the EU, really taking a closer look at that, what the EU was doing in terms of governance. In that report, we have set out several action points, action points for policymakers, where policymakers should have a role in shaping optimal corporate governance in the EU and not just on the national level, and and encourage stronger mechanisms for board accountability and the representation of minority shareholders. Again, a greater dialogue between European and national regulators and European organizations is important to develop a framework for corporate governance in the EU. Again, what is also important for companies, better alignment of company and investor interests with those of employees and society, a more constructive dialogue with shareholders to establish longer term relationships, and the need for a credibility of a comply or explain approach, compliance with the code or clear and thoughtful justification for deviation. Transparency is the name of the game here. And then again, for action points for investors, engage more with the companies to press them to comply with corporate governance rules, push to see their rights to be recognized and properly exercise them, and understand that there is a room for improvement in the governance of stakeholder and social issues without affecting a company's value. That last is important. We've seen several cases recently where companies repurpose themselves to say with a purpose for the benefit of society, Um, they then get uh, attacked by impact investors, for example, who still see the bottom line as being important and that longer term is still out of perspective. Put that in the framework and you can then understand why CFA Institute and CFA Society Germany together produced a report on stakeholder capitalism in action with a focus on Germany. And I'll, of course, give the floor to to Susan and Martina, my two guests. So Susan is the CEO of CFA Society Germany, and Martina Wahl is a member of the CFA Society Germany Advocacy Committee. And together we also with colleagues in the CFA Institute, they've produced this report on stakeholder capitalism with that focus on Germany. CFA Institute work in the field of corporate governance is rooted in the belief that the principal agent relationship should be governed in a manner that aligns the interests of all parties who have a stake in the management of companies and investors' financial assets. The traditional model, model of managing companies focused on the, was focused on the primacy of shareholder interest, and that is transitioning to a stakeholder model. This newer model is presented as a more complete set of rules and principles by which company boards and management must also consider the interests of the wider society and the environment in which the company operates. 
So corporate governance is really at an inflection point um, in its history. Regulatory and policy developments have in, are intending to widen the scope of governance overarching objectives to include the consideration of this larger set of stakeholders. But the key question remains how to align the interests of shareholders and that of other stakeholders. Now, Germany has developed a rather unique model of corporate governance amongst advanced economies. And I will now turn to Susan and Martina to tell us a little bit more about the, the history of why this particular report came into being. The main features of this particular model of corporate governance in Germany, and really one which is based on the concept of employee representation and co-determination has been at the basis of this model. How does it work? What are the, what are the key features of this governance model? But let me turn first to Susan to give us a little bit on the history of this uh, of this report coming into being. Susan. Great. Thank you very much, uh, Josina. Pleasure, pleasure to be here. And uh, yeah, perhaps just to, to mention that the society, of course, you I think everyone gets a, an idea from the introduction of, of Josina, just how broad this topic is. And also just in, in the last several years, uh, how much focus has now come into this topic. And based on that, of course, uh, at the society, we have also the German Advocacy Committee, um, our committee of, 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 of expert members who, who meet together um, on a regular basis. And of course, this topic of corporate governance has also been one that we have been occupied with. And uh, within that, not just here for the German society, but with yourselves. And in, in a joint discussion that we had last year, we actually talked about these shifts in, in governance. And it was clear, of course, that Germany, as you said, already has a model that does give greater credence and, and greater attention to this idea of, of stakeholders beyond, of course, this shareholder primacy. And within that, um, of course, a great amount of attention, especially to company employees. So Martina Ball, who is one of our, our active members and active experts within the advocacy committee, immediately came up with this this idea of this focus, of course, then on the German model, and had also the terrific idea to actually interview different companies in order to get a really hands-on, practical look at how this structure does really work in, in Germany. So I will not go into those details myself. I will hand over now very happily to Martina, and she will provide you with the main features of the governance model. Yes, uh, thank you, Susan. Yes, uh, actually, well, it's not just about employees, obviously, when we talk about stakeholders, there are many more important uh, stakeholder groups like clients and your entire value chain. But in our report, we wanted to focus mostly on employee participation. The background to this is that we thought that Germany might serve really as a very good best practice model. Most international listeners may not notice, but actually employee participation has been enshrined in law in Germany since the 19th century. So it started in the 19th century and it's really been a part of German corporate identity for so long and uh, since the 1970s, so for more than, than, than 50 years, it's been in place uh, in the current model. And it's a part of not just employees, but also managers and everybody's life in German companies. So our report gives a very 
nice uh, look into how this actually works. And it's not just theory, as, as Susan already mentioned, it's, it's really interviews with managers, with employees representing other employees. And so uh, just as a, a short description how this works in Germany, there is, uh, on the one hand, there is the works councils. Works councils, they can exist in companies as small as uh, five with five employees. And they are democratically elected representatives of the employees. And they're the voice of the company's employees. So they discuss and they talk and they negotiate with management, with the employers. It's a bit in contrast with unions. Unions do exist in Germany, but works councils, uh, they're very different. They're really on the, on the micro level of the company. So they take care of, of the employees' individual needs and, and wishes and concerns within the company, whereas unions, as you know them from from other countries, from the international level, they, they're more political organizations. So that's the works councils. They exist basically in almost all German companies, small, medium-sized and big. And in bigger companies with more than 500 employees, you have actually employee representatives on the supervisory board. So between 500 and 2,000 employees, companies have to elect one-third of the members of the supervisory board among their employees. And that's not management employees, but just like the normal employees, non-management employees. And the companies with more than 2,000 employees, this represent, representative uh, percentage goes to one-half. So half of the supervisory board for larger German companies are actually elected from employees of this company. So that's very unique, a very unique German model. And um, surprisingly enough, it works. So companies are successful with this model, with uh, giving employees a voice, information, and, and the say, not in the, in the strategy of the company, but in how employees are being treated and how the day-to-day -day communication between management and employees works. So it's, it's a very, very interesting model that, uh, that's very different to what we know from the American uh, shareholder focus model. Thank you, Martina. And yes, it is very interesting to, to do this deep dive in, into the German model. And particularly, of course, because the, the study has a lot of cases and you personally did interviews with these companies, and there's a big diversity. When you were talking and doing the interviews for, for these uh, case studies, what was your finding on the involvement of employee representatives to increase that transparency and accountability that you mentioned um, by management? Do, does it lead to better quality in management decisions, do you think? Can you, could you comment on that? Actually, that's what the people we interviewed uh actually thought so yes none of them uh, neither managers nor employees wanted to miss this model they all valued it highly on the one hand especially from the management side sometimes uh, they mentioned yeah well decision processes take a bit longer with this model but on the other hand it really helped us a lot uh, in many many ways and cases especially during times of crisis management values uh, the system in place uh, very highly. It's a way of communicating between the point of view of managers and the point of view of employees. And so they have to sit down, 
and try to understand each other's uh, situation and position and then come to a solution that fits both. And it has been a very successful uh, model and all those companies. And we interviewed the companies from many different uh, industries and many different backgrounds. We interviewed uh, finance companies, banks. We interviewed utility companies, uh, a utility company. We interviewed a beverage uh, companies. So as you can see, many different industries. And they all agreed that actually the quality of the long-term quality and sustainability of the entire management process was improved by this system, yes. That's very encouraging. And I'm sure this study will be quite essential for the debates that go on at the EU level uh, in terms of greater transparency and engaging other stakeholders. Looking at the case studies again, how did you see that German companies normally deal with conflicts of interest that arise when there are different goals and needs of the shareholders and the employee representatives, because there could be clashes? And how are these solved? And what, what are the key issues here, Martina? Oh, yes, there are clashes indeed, and they have to sit down and talk. They have to sit, sit down and talk until they find a solution. And actually, the law in Germany gives a lot of power to works councils. So the works council can take the company to court if they don't uh, comply with the law and if they don't inform them on time and don't sit down and talk with them. So they, the managers, they in Germany, they cannot decide over the heads of, of the employees, so they can they cannot take decisions that directly influence the situation of employees without sitting down and talking to their employees, to their works councils and involve them. And also the employee representatives on the supervisory boards, they do get a lot of information, they do need to get informed and and a lot of um, things going on within the company. So there is a lot of information, a flow of information, which uh, already helps the mutual understanding, I'd say. Um, but yes, there are clashes and then uh, it's, uh, there are different opinions and uh, obviously conflicts of interest. Uh, think about times of crisis when a company has to, to uh, make uh, employees and workers redundant. That happens in Germany too. It happens all the time. Companies have to downsize or they take production abroad. But here, employees get involved in the process uh, very early on. And in the end, um, it's also our... I really encourage you to read through the interviews. It really gives a very nice insight how companies deal with employee participation in times of crisis. And that's surprising. It was really a surprise also to us that companies, uh, each and every company we interviewed, told us actually this system really helps, especially in times of crisis. When everything goes well, there isn't much friction going on. But uh, when when uh, employees have to be laid off or when uh, companies have to be restructured or sold to other companies merged, then actually this helps a lot because on the one hand, management only needs to, to speak with the works council and not with each individual employee. So it's uh, an efficient way of uh, managing a crisis and negotiating contracts. And on the other hand, it's... Uh, it, that they sit down and talk and that they have a very, that they know each other 
employee representatives and management they have they have known each other for a long time and they've sat together before so there is a mutual trust and understanding and in the end crisis uh, in German companies they tend to be a bit smoother than in other companies just because of employee participation I, I hope I think that's a very valid point that in terms of crisis, this is a model that facilitates that uh, discussion. Um, we have seen a CFA Institute has done a COVID survey twice, in fact, one in March 2020 at the beginning of the COVID crisis and one uh, just come that came out this in June of this year. And what it, what is interesting is that there is a perception within our charter holders globally that, again, companies need to be more transparent and th but that uh, there there seems to be more a case also in point that everybody has to pull that cart of ameliorating conditions in financial markets conditions for companies conditions for investors and to make sure that um, there is this dialogue and i think that the key word here is dialogue again it's it's something that we've also seen uh, throughout the years in research on the future of the investment profession, for example, where it was also clear that what is important is that the composition of groups that uh, look at companies, the same thing it should be said then within the company, you should have that diversity of view. If you just have management, you, you get one view and you don't get the real depth of that company. So I think that that really is very important. I'm going to turn now to Susan because I'm going to drive that debate up a little bit and say, well, what, what, um, what about the EU? Um, could some of the peculiarities and, and key features of this German stakeholder approach, could that help a more sustainable corporate governance within the EU wide, which would then take society's needs and interest into consideration? Again, also politically speaking, could Brexit facilitate uh, the development of a continental model based in part on what is happening in Germany, um, which is really, you know, a, a difference to what we see happening in, in the UK and in the Anglo-Saxon model of corporate governance. Susan, um, the floor is yours. Great, thank you. Well, all right, it's, it's a broad set of questions, and so I'm approaching it in sort of a, a broad and hopefully though structured way. First, maybe just to come back to the very, very basics, if we can, this idea of the two structure or the two tier model, right? We didn't go into it so specifically, this idea that actually in Germany, but not just in Germany, about a third of the EU states actually have this two tier structure, meaning having at the very top as the oversight body, the supervisory board, and then directly under it, the executive management which is in the management board. So the management board is probably more aligned with what most, you know, Anglo-Saxon model, one tier, you, you know, the, the unitary board would think of as the board. But in fact, it's a smaller board generally here in continental Europe or specifically in Germany, a smaller group of people are in the management board that's supposed to make them actually a bit more efficient. And then above this, of course, is the supervisory board where, as Martina mentioned, you have in there up to half of those members being employees of the company. 
So within this, then you have, of course, this idea of the Works Council. And that, again, is also not a foreign concept though, in the EU. Already in the mid 90s, there was the, the European Works Council Directive. This was updated in 2009. And now, to your point, just in January, it was again updated, the European Works Council concept, where right now, is, to my knowledge, there's about 1,200 multinational companies right now in that European Council. The directive was changed now so that it no longer applies, for example, to UK employees. So to your point, going into this idea now of the, the shift post-Brexit, how this could look in continental Europe, we have unfortunately now this situation with the EU making the decision not only to have left the model, but also have had made the decision now not to actually join in, for example, with the, the European Green Deal. They've decided to move away and not actually now follow strictly the EU taxonomy for ESG and have decided now to, to incorporate their own model. And these, these distinctions are based a lot on the idea that the, the UK model, um, as you talked about at the beginning, this idea of comply or explain is not as interesting in the UK as it would be in, in the European model. The UK model is very principles-based. As you know, the EU model is very rules-based. Having said that, the UK would like to make their reporting mandatory. In the EU, it's still this comply and explain. So as you see, it's sort of a, 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 a mix right now of two fully different fundamental cultures, if we could say, of concepts. So what will be the most important thing to align this beyond the idea that the capital markets union within the EU will, of course, be trying to align the EU model is hopefully a situation we'll, we'll get reporting that will align now the UK and the EU models coming together. And this, of course, will not happen right away. But I think that going through time, the idea that those models will have to come together, that there'll have to be some sort of reporting standards, which are sharing right the, the the concepts between now the the continent and 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 the UK will have to will, will have to be there so going back now to the question of if the german model can come into the the eu as a stronger model i think that actually will remain to, to be seen because it is a cultural aspect which martina discussed this idea of fully embedding this idea of the co-determination into your companies is something that I think everyone has to buy into. If you don't buy into it, that's exactly where the weaknesses come into the model. And that's what you see in, in other cultures that they say, oh, that model just does not work. It does work, right? Martina um, has shown it through her examples that it works. And actually, if you buy into it full um, head and sinker, then actually companies can benefit from it and ben benefit in a, in a long-term way. But if in fact here culturally in Europe with all the alignments, if we'll come to the situation in the very near future that you know other countries here say, yes, we want to incorporate not just the two-tier model, but also the works councils and beyond that, the co-determination, that's a very high hurdle. So I'd be curious myself, I'd be interested of course, for us to pursue this, it'll remain to be seen if in fact it will move that quickly in that direction. Thank you very much, both of you, Martina and Susan, for very enlightening, both a deep dive into Germany and also Susan for explaining to us uh, some of the challenges that are, we face on the continent as we look at the UK across the channel and we seek to find our own way, but still work together.
Please do watch out for this report. It will be on the website of CFA Institute and CFA Society Germany. And as a bonus, let me just tell you that it is also in two languages. It's in German and English. So this is, again, highlighting the fact that we want to reach everyone with this paper and that it is a deep dive into the German market. So thank you very much. We will keep this corporate governance topic, I think, running for quite a while uh, because there is so much going on at the moment. Thank you again. Thank you.